0: So we came to Riverside in 2017, and so um, we had just moved from Oklahoma, and so um, we came here and we both started our jobs, and then um, I, my best friend growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, um, had texted me one morning and she said, oh, the Trevathans live in Coppell, you should like." reach out to them or see if they're there and I was like oh cool but I was like at work and so I just kept going about my day and then later that day at work Alicia Trebathan came in and so Alicia invited us to church was which was really a huge turning point for us.
1: Since we've been here we've seen Riverside grow uh, kind of in the traditional sense lots of new faces but I think the thing that's Uh, most important to me about that is those faces aren't all just people coming from another church or just moved here. Uh, Of course, we do see that and see people moving away, and it's constantly changing. But people who didn't have a church home and didn't have a community, um, and they've come here and they found something that really speaks to them, something that's meaningful, a community that they needed, whether they knew it or not. In the next five to 10 years, I'd like to see us continue to grow in the same ways we have. Uh, I'd like to see new faces, like to see more faces, more perspectives. But I'd also like to see us internally, those of us who are already here, really latch on to the opportunities that come with the new faces and the new people. There's plenty of work to be done, and I think uh, having the community is one part of it, but then finding the work to do with that community is even bigger. So I'd like us to continue to reach out to the community, reach out to new people and new faces, but also dive a little bit deeper into that work that's already being done.
0: church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. So glad all of you are here today. In fact, I'm really glad all of you are here today because today, today is a good news Sunday. Today in just a few moments we're going to share, I think, some really exciting news. And I know it's fall break, so I know that while you're here there are some of maybe of your friends or maybe family members who maybe aren't here. So I want to go ahead and commission you early on, let you know I want you to be sharing some of this good news later on with friends, with family, with other people who are a part of our church who may not be here today. Feel free later on to send a text and to share some of the good news we're going to be sharing with you today. It's an exciting day in the life of our church. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's totally fine. You're going to be excited in a few minutes as well as we share share some of this good news with you today. If you don't know, we are in the middle of a series called Something Bigger. And throughout this series, we're asking, we're praying, we're hoping for God to do in us and through us infinitely more than we could ask, dream, or imagine. And, and a part of that attached to this series is, is a capital campaign where we're praying about as members of this church, what can we give above and beyond what we normally give to make room for God to do infinitely more than we could ask, dream, or imagine some very tangible, practical, and yet amazing and profound Ways, And I want to ask you, I know Jason went over a lot of calendar stuff early. Uh, I want to ask you to mark one more day. Would you mark uh, October 23rd? That's two weeks from today. In two weeks, uh, Sunday, October 23rd, we're going to have what we're calling Celebration Sunday here at Riverside. Celebration Sunday. On that day, in two weeks, we're going to be celebrating what God has done in us and through us. Because that day, we're going to announce we're going to announce the number, the amount that we have given or pledged to give. And you'll have an opportunity today to, to learn more about how you can do that. But in, in two weeks on that Sunday, we're going to have a, have a party, if you will. We're going to celebrate what, what God is doing in and through us. And I want to tell you just a couple of quick things about that because it's going to be a different day, okay? And I want you to listen because there's a twist here. I want you to listen. Uh, In two weeks on Sunday, October 23rd, we'll have our normal worship times, as we always do, at 8.45 and 11 a.m. But, and and keep listening, don't stop listening when I say this, all right? On that day at 8.45 and 11 a.m. during those worship times, we won't have communion because... Because we want to have communion all together as one church family. So at the 10 o'clock hour, outside on the front lawn, there's no Bible class that day. We're going to have a big tent on the front lawn. There's going to be food, fellowship, celebration. It's going to be an incredible time. We want to share communion together as all one church coming together at that time. It's going to be a very special moment. And we want to announce what we've given or pledged to give. And we want to attach that. You understand this, right? We want to root that in communion. We don't ever want to forget that the greatest gift that any of us as ever received is the gift that God gave us on that cross in Jesus some 2,000 years ago. And anything that we ever give, it's always out of the overflow of what God has already given us. So I think it's going to be a really important, really special day in the life of our church. And I don't know about you, but we're always looking for opportunities to come together as one church and do important things. Is there anything more important we could do And come together to celebrate communion that day. And then to share in the celebration, we're going to enjoy that day. It's going to be an amazing day. So so if you've got plans to be somewhere else, change them. You want to be here on Sunday, October 23rd. It's going to be an amazing day in the life of this church. Okay, I always love to begin with a question because I want to get you thinking. And here's the question I want to start with as we begin today. Think about this. What does it mean? What does it mean to be truly rich? What does it mean to be truly rich? Uh, A couple of weekends ago, uh, my, my wife, Alicia, and our son, Will, they had plans. They had a service project they were going to go do and be a part of. So that meant that me and my two daughters had what we call a daddy-daughter-daughter date day, right? And so we had big plans that day. I mean, we, I mean, we did it upright, people. We went to Chipotle for lunch. We weren't messing around. We, uh, we took the dog on a walk. We went to Bahama Bucks. It was a great day. But before we did any of that, I took them to their very favorite place in Capella. You know what their favorite place in Capella is, right? You probably, you probably already know this. I'll tell you in case you don't. Uh, we went to the Coppell Library. That's their favorite place to go in Coppell. I love it because everything there is free. It's amazing. You go there, they give you stuff. And uh, as a dad, you can see where I'm coming from. So we go to the Coppell Library. We have fun. They go over. there checking out you know, books and their sections and different things. And I'll wander over to the biography section. And while I'm over there, I see a book that kind of piques my interest. It's a book called The Happiest Man on Earth, written by a guy named Eddie Jakou. Maybe you know this guy's story. Maybe, maybe you've read this book. I would encourage you. It's an incredible book. Eddie Jaku is a survivor of Auschwitz, right? Uh, he just recently died at the age of 101 in October of 21. Incredible life. Just imagine what happened in his lifetime and what he saw, especially as a survivor of Auschwitz. He grew up in Germany and he loved his life, he loved his country, he loved his family, everything for him was looking up until what he called a cloud came over his happy family scene. And you can imagine what changed for him, what changed for his family as. The Nazis began to have their way, and World War II broke out, and all of the atrocities that happened in those days. But as he writes his story, and as he tells his story, he's reflecting on, on the time before all of that happened, and he, he shares in his book something that his father once taught him, and I want you to hear this. I think this is so important. His father once said, if you are lucky enough to have money in a nice house, you can afford to help those who don't. This is what life is all about, to share your good fortune. His father taught him something, right, that we all know is true, that to be truly rich is is to share your good fortune with others. But we live in a world where where everyone wants to, to get rich and no one thinks that they are rich until they have more than the next guy who they think is rich, right? But the problem with that game is that the, you can never win the comparison game. There's always somebody who has more than you have. But the truth is, and I think we know this, the truth is we're all rich. Whether we know it or not, according to the world's standards, most of us in the room really are rich. They say that as of 2019, and I'm sure this has changed now, but as of 2019, some 34 million people living in the United States live in poverty, which means they live on less than $35 a day. And you may think, well, I could get by on $35 a day. Maybe you could, but that would mean living on less than $12,880 a year and that assumes you never took a day off and that you actually made $35 every day and you found a way with that $35 to pay for food and a place to stay and all of your transportation needs, your medical needs, and other things that come up. It seems almost impossible that 34 million people are living in the United States on less than $35 a day. But even if you could do that, you would still be rich, right? by the world's standards because they say, according to the World Bank, 689 million people on planet Earth live on less than $2 a day. How is that even possible? I don't know. I can't imagine that. But let me take it one step forward. Did you know that 1.3 billion people on the planet, living in some 107 developing countries, are what they call multi-dimensionally and you may wonder, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be multidimensionally poor? Well, it means that you may have no access to things like clean water or electricity or school or a working toilet. In fact, there are ten different categories that the UN has come up with, along with the Oxford Poverty and Human Development Initiative. And, and, and if you fall within any of those within three of those ten categories, then you are considered multidimensionally poor. I share all of that just to make this one simple point. The question really isn't, are we rich? The question is, how do we live richly? How do we live richly? Especially those of us who consider ourselves disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we live richly? And here's the good news. God has taught us. God has taught us how to be rich and how to live rich and generous lives. In fact, if you have your Bible or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, I want to invite you this morning to open to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6. Six. We'll start in just a moment in verse seventeen. First Timothy is a, is a letter. A tradition holds this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. At this point, he's he's a little later in life, so he's a seasoned minister. He's a pastor who has loved and served the church, you know, most of his life. At this point in his life, and he's writing this letter to a young pastor, a young minister, a young preacher named Timothy, and he's giving him instructions. He wants him to know what he's supposed to do, how he's supposed to live as a young minister, but he also wants him to know what to teach his church and what to teach the churches and the disciples of Jesus that he's working with. And I want you to, I want you to listen to what Paul writes to Timothy near the end of this letter because he's talking to him about, hey, make sure you teach the Christians there, the, 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 the church you're working with. This is how you're supposed to live in relationship with money. This is how to live a rich and generous life, and this is so good. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. Don't be proud. Not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which, by the way, is so unreliable. You can see this throughout the Apostle Paul's writings here and in different places. Paul is deeply interested that that those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, that that we have the right attitude and the right perspective when it comes with how we live in relationship with our money. And he knew something 2,000 years ago, right, that is still true today. It is so easy for us, even those of us who claim to follow Christ, to put our hope, to put our faith, to put our trust in the gifts instead of the giver. It's so easy for us, it's so easy for us to struggle with pride. Look how much I've earned. It's so easy for us to put our hope and our faith and our trust in our money. Look how much I've saved. Look what I have in retirement. Look what's in my rainy day fund. It's so easy for us to think, to think that what we have is what we deserved because we earned it and we did it all the while forgetting forgetting the one who gave us the talents and the abilities and the opportunities to have what we have, to earn what we have, to to be where we are in this life. The temptation, it's as old as time, and our enemy, he loves to use it against us. And you know why? Because our enemy knows that what Paul said is true, that money is so unreliable. But we fall into this trap, this temptation of thinking, man, if we can just get it, if we can just get enough of it, if we can just have it, if we can just hold on to it, if we can control it, then we will be okay. You know, like I know, money is so unreliable. Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world, man, don't be proud. Don't put your trust in your money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be In God, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Put your trust in God, who richly gives. In other words, our God is a God of uncommon generosity. He richly gives us everything we have for our enjoyment. And God, oh, by the way, God is trustworthy. God is faithful. God is reliable. And we know this. Many of us, we believe this. A lot of us in the room, we've experienced this, but, but we still, so often, what happens? We, we forget this. We forget it. If you look um, at a dollar bill, you guys know this. If you look at our currency, you'll see this inscription on all of our money. What does it say? You know what it says? What does it say? In God we trust. In God we trust. Uh, I wrote down the date here, it was July 11, 1955, that Dwight D. Eisenhower signed Bill H.R. 619 into effect that required this inscription on all of our money. That, that resolution was first introduced in the House of Representatives by a guy named Charles E. Bennett of Florida, and he said this, interesting, he said, nothing can be more certain than that our country was founded in a spiritual atmosphere and with a firm trust in God. Here we are some 70 years later when it was signed into law that that these words, in God we trust, be inscribed on our money. And yet I wonder, is that true for most people? I don't know. But I think the real question is, is it true for us? Is it true for us? Do we have our trust in God? Is God the one in whom we put our faith and our hope in our trust, in our God who is reliable, in our God who is faithful, in our God who is trustworthy? Or do we put our faith and our hope and our trust? Do we fall into that temptation, that trap of putting it in those things that are so unreliable? I remember years ago, Alicia and I, we were, man, we were on top of the world. We were doing so good. You know, we were debt-free except for the house. We had more money in savings than we had ever had. And then we had a baby, and she was an expensive baby. And I won't tell you which one it was, but she's sitting by my wife over here. And then the transmission went out on the minivan. Oh, boy, transmissions are not cheap. Can I get an amen? And then we had like a major plumbing issue at the house, and it was going to cost an arm and a leg to repair. And boy, did we learn this lesson. In a matter of just a few days, money is so unreliable. And some of you have experienced this. You know, we're all one, two, or three events away from just being completely broke, right? Money is so unreliable. So Paul says, tell these Christians, tell these followers of Jesus, trust in God. That's where you put your hope and your faith. Trust in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Because our God, our God is a God of abundance. Our God is a God of uncommon generosity. And everything he gives us is for our enjoyment. Don't miss that. Everything God gives us is absolutely for us to enjoy it all, comes from God. And it's for our enjoyment, but it's not just for our enjoyment. In verse 18, Paul continues, and he says this, tell them, tell them this, tell them this, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich, how? Rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that, so that they may experience true life. By doing this, by doing what? By doing this, by trusting God with our finances, by putting our trust in God and not money, by, by using our money to do good, by being rich in good works, by being generous to those in need, and by always being ready to share with others, This is how we do this. This is how we live rich and generous lives. This is how we store up treasure for a future, right? This is how we we, we store up treasure for a different, it's a different kind of treasure for a different kind of life. You get this, right? Jesus talked about this. Jesus talked about building our lives on a firm foundation so that when the storms of life come, we won't be shaken or moved. Jesus also said, Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And now here Paul is echoing those same words of Jesus, encouraging Christians to do this, to build our lives on a different kind of foundation, to store up a different kind of treasure for a different kind of life. And he says, when you do this, as you do this, You're participating in. You're being a part of something bigger than yourselves. You're storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that we may experience true life. Another translation says it this way, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Our enemy wants us to take hold of a life that's not really life. It looks like life, but it's not. It's a poor substitute. The life that Jesus offers, the abundant life, the resurrection life, this is a life that is truly life life. So the question then becomes, where is your trust? Where is your trust? And are you storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that you can take hold of life that is truly life? What would it look like for you to truly put your trust in Nearly every week you'll see someone come to the stage and they'll stand on the stage and they'll tell, they'll tell you something like this. They'll say something like this, that this church is a church of uncommon generosity. That's a phrase that we stumbled upon a few years ago. In 2016, I did a series called Uncommon Generosity. I had no idea then that those two words would take root in the hearts and life of this church and, and become a part of our culture and a part of our language that we use every single Sunday But since 2016, I can tell you this, that every year we've met and exceeded our annual budget. Since 2016, we've fully funded Harvest Sunday for missions every single year. We may have done it before then, but I know since then that's happened every single year. In 2018, we started doing these annual reports, and I love our annual reports because they just give you the numbers and the stories and the things that you may or may not know throughout the year that they're so encouraging to see how God is moving and working in this church. And dating back to 2018, we could look before this, but it was easy for me to look back to 2018 and tell you this, that since 2018, did you know, as a church, we've given 434000 to missions through Harvest Sunday since twenty eighteen. Since twenty eighteen, we've given eighty-two thousand to Christian works, and that's been multiplied exponentially through their annual auction to touch and change lives in ways we may never even know or understand. And that doesn't even count what you've done, what you've given for things that go towards hurricane relief or to, to relieve the suffering of those Christians in Ukraine, those brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering right now. Since 2017, we've had an Engaged Sunday every year. You've already heard about that. It's coming again really soon, where we're going to take a whole day and serve our neighbors, serve our community, serve this city, serve DFW. And it's an incredible day of loving and giving and serving in some very generous and amazing ways. In 2020 and 2021, we did a monthly thing called Serving Together, which was so good. Because part of that time we couldn't meet as a church, but yet here we are still coming together to serve our neighbors and serve our community and give in different ways. And it was an incredible time in the life of this church to serve and to give and to love in some amazing, amazing ways. And we're not counting all the times that this church has been able to help people in this community with things like rent and utilities. We're not counting the number of times we've been able to help families within this church who are going through difficult financial times. We're not counting all the meals that you've bought and brought to those who had new babies or those who are sick or those who are grieving or those who are in need. We're not counting the times. This happens all the time where somebody passes money anonymously through one of us from this side of the room to that side of the room to help somebody who just knows they need an extra little help right now. It doesn't count all the things that you do that don't get counted. This church, in so many ways, truly is a church of uncommon generosity. But this morning, I want to tell you Another story of uncommon generosity, except I don't want to tell it. I want to ask Ron Bauer and Carol Polly to come to the stage. Uh, They are our Something Bigger Capital campaign directors, and I want them to tell you another story of the uncommon generosity in the life of this church. So Ron and Carol, if you guys don't know, they've been working tirelessly for weeks, behind the scenes in some important ways towards this campaign, and I'm excited that they can share this good news with you today.
2: Well, good morning, and I hope you are feeling the excitement as this campaign is building and we're approaching Celebration Sunday and First Fruit Sunday that is coming. Um, And just completed, it's past nine o'clock, so we have completed the 24-hour prayer vigil. And this next week is Commitment Sunday, when we are asking everyone to join together and to make a pledge or make a gift on that day. Uh, that is over and above your normal contribution for the next 36 months. And it's also a time when we are inviting God to do something bigger in us and through us. And as Corey has said from the words of the Apostle Paul at Ephesians, that is more than we could ever ask or imagine or even think. And today is Early Commitment Sunday. A few weeks ago, our early commitment team leaders, Frank Stepp and Clark Byroad, began meeting with several of our families and asking them to go before the rest of us and make uh, a pledge to the Keep Something Bigger campaign before the majority of our church family. And this group has stepped up in a really big way and um, with generous hearts to help us get started toward this goal. And if we meet or exceed that goal, what that means is that for the first time in the 35-year history of Riverside, we will absolutely not have debt. And that is something to be incredibly excited about. And if we go beyond that, we will be able to fully fund and overfund our giving to missions. As you've heard, what we have typically given each year for Harvest Sunday is around $100,000, and we want to increase that by 20% and go beyond. And if we reach or exceed that goal, then what we will do is do some renovations and some housekeeping around our building so that it becomes a more welcoming and a safe space for those who will come as our church continues to grow.
3: This morning, we're excited to announce that because of the generosity of our early commitment group, we are well on our way to reaching and potentially exceeding our goal of 1.25 million. As of this morning, we have already raised $1,028,100 from 19 pledges and gifts towards our Something Bigger capital campaign. You know, praise God for this. When I saw this amount, I found myself thinking of Ephesians three twenty through 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. This early commitment to the campaign is more than I would have asked or imagined. It also has me seeing faith in our members to put trust in God, to give sacrificially knowing that God will take care of them. It has me wondering about what else I should ask or imagine, what type of number we might reach, and what Riverside might be able to do for God's kingdom in the community and in the world. It has me wanting to be part of something bigger for God's kingdom on this earth. But we're not there yet. Your gifts will help us reach, and we believe exceed our goal of 1.25 million. Today we are passing out commitment cards. There should be some ushers to do that. Uh, We want to ask you to prayerfully consider what you can give. We want to encourage everyone to give. No gift is too small. To us, it is important that everyone participates in some way because this is how we grow in faith together. Next Sunday, October 16th, we will be collecting these commitment cards during worship. And then on October 23rd, we will have a celebration Sunday where we will announce the total we've raised and give God praise. As we give thanks for what has already been given, and as you consider what you can give, let's pray. Dear God, as we come before you now, we give you glory for all you do. I am thankful for the faith that I've seen in members at Riverside over the years. I am thankful for the Something Bigger campaign and the chance that it gives me and our congregation to consider what we might be able to do as servants in your kingdom, and the opportunity that it gives us to grow in our faith to you and our trust in you.
2: Generous Father, we're so grateful this morning. Thank you for the hearts of those who have already led with generosity. By grace, you turn us into cheerful givers. We want to imagine a better future for our church, for our community, and for our world with you, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, accomplishing the works that you have already prepared in advance for us to live out. Help us to be like you, Father. Generous with mercy, grace, forgiveness, encouragement, and kindness. When we are generous, you become known, honored, and loved. Deepen and strengthen our faith in Jesus. Let us boast in his work, not ours. In his most worthy name we pray, amen.
0: Amen. Man, praise God. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) Praise God. I do believe we're not only gonna meet our goal, we will exceed our goal because this is a church of uncommon generosity. And we can be that kind of church because we were created to reflect the heart of our God, who is a God of uncommon generosity. And this church over and over again, you just reflect that heart, you reflect that heart over and over again to each other and to God. And for that, I just give God thanks. What a blessing, what an encouragement it is to be a part of this church family. And I hope that number, I hope it inspires you. I hope it encourages you, but I also hope it challenges you to to, to think about what you could do to be a part of this, to what you could give to be a part of this. And then what we could do together, how many lives we could touch, how many people's hearts could be impacted through our giving and through our generosity. It's gonna be amazing to see what God does in and through us in these days. And I don't know about you, i 'm just thankful to be a part of the movement of God in this place in these days. What an incredible thing church if you would let 's stand it 's my prayer that together we would that we would be like trees planted along the riverside, bearing fruit in each and every season it 's my prayer that our leaves would never wither or fade but that they would prosper, that we would prosper in all that we do. And I pray that we would give all glory to God, who is able, by his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask, dream, think, or imagine. All glory to him in Christ Jesus, and the church, through all generations, forever and ever and ever and ever, world without end, and the whole church said, amen.